don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. What is up, crew? Welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. I am your host, Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anyone else you know. And we are doing a uh, fun little lead in to something that uh, kind of the topic of tomorrow's episode, actually. Um, But very recently, it was on July 1st. um, So as of the release for this, we're on July 9th. So uh, a big update came to LND, um, and on the blog.lightning.engineering uh, website, the actual Lightning Labs engineer uh, uh, blog, which uh, uh, we've read a number of things uh, from them in the past. The, their blog is a really good way to keep up with uh, the stuff that's going on, and this was a really big update to LND. Uh, this is 0.7. It is now released in beta. Uh, again, they announced it on July 1st. And so we are going to, whoops, we are going to cover the uh, blog post in a pretty short little read. It's not a huge um, thing. And then just kind of talk about what it means for Lightning and kind of what stage we are in development. And I think this will be a great lead into the conversation we have tomorrow, uh, a crypto chat episode with Roy Scheinfeld. I got the guy who uh, did the, is the creator and uh, CEO of Breeze. Um, or Breeze Technology, I think, is the actual name of the company. And uh, he is responsible for the Breeze wallet. Their team has built an incredible wallet uh, for Lightning that is just zero configuration. It's just a really cool tool. I've super enjoyed it. I got to use it at the Bitcoin 2019 conference. Um, and I was very happy to get to sit down with Roy. Uh, and I think this will be a fun lead-in talking about uh, some of the things that have just come out with 0.7, because I had this conversation with him before uh, really all of this happened. So um, for the next two days, we are going to get to dive uh, deep into Lightning and a lot of the stuff that is happening on the uh, user side of things, like how this is going to change the user experience in Lightning, and it's going to be fun. So let's go ahead and jump into the blog post uh, from Lightning Labs. And, uh, and then we'll discuss for a bit exactly what this means and how I think this will change the user experience and uh, the kind of the use of Lightning, the robustness of the network. So let's jump in to announcing LND 0.7 beta. The first half of 2019 has been an exciting time for Lightning and for Bitcoin. And in those first six months, We at Lightning Labs are excited to have released Lightning Loop, our desktop Lightning app for Linux, OS X, and Windows, our mobile Lightning app for Android and iOS, as well as Loop In. To begin the second half of 2019, today we're announcing the release of LND version 0.7 beta. 0.7 includes many improvements, most notably watchtowers, more accurate payment tracking, more on-chain fee control, and more efficient routing. 
A few of the highlights are outlined below, but you can read the full release notes for further details. Watchtowers The most apparent new addition to 0.7 is support for watchtowers. Watchtowers are an important security upgrade for the Lightning Network because they provide a means to prevent theft of funds from nodes that have gone offline for extended periods of time. A watchtower service observes the blockchain in order to ensure that any node that attempts to dishonestly take money from a channel counterparty using a type of invalid transaction known as a breach is blocked from doing so. The Watchtower protocol is designed with privacy in mind so that information about channels and transactions are only decrypted in the generally rare case of a breach attempt. 0.7 provides for running LND in, quote, altruist Watchtower mode, in which an operator can provide Watchtower services without requiring payment. Additional development is ongoing for reward Watchtowers, which are paid for their services. For those who would like to operate their own watchtower, see the release notes for instructions. If you'd like to learn more, you can listen to the Stefan Levera podcast, episode 83, with Connor Frumnecht, our head of cryptographic engineering, for helpful background on watchtowers. Payment management and tracking. Another major area of improvement in point seven is in the area of payment management and tracking. In order to make the life cycle of Lightning payments more explicit to developers, we've added a new set of RPCs to be used for sending and tracking payments on the network. These two new RPCs are part of the router subserver, with the main benefit being the ability to track the current status of a given payment directly. There are many reasons why a Lightning node, particularly a mobile node, might shut down in the midst of processing a payment and a number of additions to LND were made to reflect the accurate state of payments upon node restart. The Track Payment RPC call can be used to check if a payment was initiated before the last restart, or to show details about the ultimate success or failure of past payments. This information is particularly useful for services that use LND's Total Invoice functionality, including Lightning Loop In. With these services, payments can stay in intermediate states for longer periods of time, so proper tracking of payment states in case of shutdown is even more important. Routing As always, we're continuing to make payment routing faster and more reliable. Mission Control is the LND subsystem responsible for pathfinding, and in LND 0.7, Mission Control has been updated to use a probability-based system that allows an LND node to learn and improve pathfinding performance over time. This system also provides important groundwork for future routing improvements. Some additional routing-related challenges in 0.7 improve error messaging, increase control, and provide more detailed information about payments in progress. Finally, some changes to invoice settling were made in preparation for atomic multipath payments. Chain Fee Management Reducing costs for Lightning users is always important, and in LND 0.7, a number of changes were made to minimize on-chain transaction costs. Most obviously, there are many use cases in which fees for Lightning-related operations can be significantly lowered for users or services that are able to wait longer 
for transaction confirmation. In part to support these cases, 0.7 includes support for replace by fee, or RBF, and child pays for parent, CPFP, transactions. This support allows transactions such as channel openings or closings to be initially broadcast with low fees that can be set to escalate over time according to the requirements of the particular use case. The external interface will evolve over time, but for now a basic bump fee, CLI command, can be used to manually increase the fee for a transaction. In addition to RBF and CPFP support, 0.7 also provides support for batching transactions together, which can significantly lower fees, especially for those users or services that perform large amounts of on-chain transaction activity. Finally, L&D will now wait longer for channels to open in case the channel initiator would prefer to wait longer and pay lower fees. Performance we're continuing to optimize the speed of the initial blockchain synchronization for LND full nodes and light clients. And for 0.7, two changes were made to support this. As a result, the time to bring up a new full node backed LND node has been reduced from over half an hour to minutes or seconds, depending on your full node version. In addition to blockchain synchronization, Lightning nodes also synchronized the network channel graph, and two additional changes were made to improve performance there as well. With the release of the mainnet Android and iOS Lightning app, support for light clients has become increasingly important, so LND 0.7 also includes additional testing with Neutrino clients, as well as improved reliability with Neutrino. Developer Improvements Some L&D 0.7 improvements that are particularly relevant to developers include some RPC calls that now provide more complete information about transactions, invoices, nodes, and channels. For convenience, two changes for managing RPC certificates were added. Improved infrastructure for node monitoring was added, and Litecoin testing support was improved as well. Bug Fixes Numerous smaller fixes were implemented in 0.7, including an update for changes made in Bitcoin D 0.18. One protocol-level bug fix was made for a corner case involving, quote, overlapping HTLCs, and there were also bug fixes involving fee computation and the command line interface and channel backups on Windows. Summary Thanks again to everyone in the Lightning community who has contributed engineering or testing time to the release of LND 0.7, as well as our app and loop releases in quarter one and quarter two of 2019. The coming quarters promise even more growth of the network and the broader community, and we're excited for what's in store. Please continue to stay in touch with us on the LND IRC channel, Slack, and GitHub. All right, and that concludes the blog post at blog.lightning.engineering, all about 0.7 beta and uh, announcing its release. And let's go into, so some of that might have been a little bit confusing, um, and uh, I want to dig a little bit deeper into some of these things specifically and what they are, uh, what those changes are and what they could mean for the user experience. So uh, let's hit our sponsor real quick, and then we will come back in and start our discussion.
All right, so let's talk about, let's get back into this blog post and talk about what some of this means. Um, now, one of the most interesting developments here is watchtowers, um, because this is something that has been talked about for a very long time and has now finally made its way into the actual protocol. Now, to let's go ahead and just do a brief overview of what a channel is so that we can understand what a watchtower is. Um, so the basic idea of a channel is it's like a live contract. What you do is you create a, um, a joint contract with you and another node on the network with a certain amount of Bitcoin inside of it, and it lets you uh, send Bitcoin back and forth within that contract without going back to the blockchain. So you're not broadcasting a transaction, you're creating a lightning transaction just between you and the other node. And essentially what is keeping that channel safe is the fact that there's an insurance contract, sort of, that says, uh, if I am not there to sign an update, and this is broadcast to the blockchain, you have to wait, uh, you know, two days or something. It's just agreed upon time lock is, you know, what it's referred to. And it means that uh, they, basically any updates that actually get sent back to the blockchain to settle the, 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 month, the funds in the contract must have a wait time if only one party is present. But it does create a limitation there because we can do a lot of transactions back and forth and all this stuff. But if I go offline, I have no way to basically contest um, that if they broadcast some old state of the blockchain, or excuse me, some old state of our contract, our agreement that we have, I have no way to contest it and say, no, that's an old one and I have the new one. Uh, because that's essentially how the contract worked, is we update it 100 times, and the 100th update is the most valid. And if they try to broadcast the 87th update, I broadcast the 100th, and it negates the 87th. So it's, a, it's an offline, quote-unquote, contract that is continually updated um, until we need to settle on chain. So with that, this is what the purpose of a watchtower is, is if I go offline, well, I can give state 100 to this watchtower service, a node that is online when I might not be. And it allows them to sign on my behalf if someone tries to breach the contract. In the example I gave, they would be publishing uh, uh, update number 87 because that means they have more Bitcoins when they settle than they actually do in the valid, um, the valid version of it. So watchtowers are a really important security upgrade to keep the network robust and to keep nodes safe on the network. But what's funny is that I don't think it will be used a lot um, in the sense that not used in the lot, not used in the sense that people won't try to have a watchtower set up, but used a lot in the sense that it will be an incredibly uh, rewarding paid for service on the network because um, it's one of those things that like the, the very nature, the very fact that watchtowers exist on the network, like you can't, like I'm not broadcasting to, if, if my node is actually using a watchtower, I'm just talking with the watchtower. I'm not broadcasting out to everybody on the network that I am or am not using a watchtower. You don't really know. So you basically have to assume now that watchtowers are on the network that some watchtower has got my back. So if I'm offline, that doesn't mean that my contract can't be enforced. 
So, um, like, even if you have, like, a node that's been offline for, like, a week, you pretty much have to assume that there might be a watchtower out there that is going to screw you if you try to breach the contract. Um, and what we've seen so far in the Lightning Network is that every time one of these breaches happen, uh, it seems to be almost universally, uh, I, I still don't think I know of one that was actually a malicious actor trying to, like, uh, spam the network or, like, uh, flood a node and prevent them from seeing a breach of a contract and doing this maliciously. I, I have yet to hear about that, and I feel like that would probably be big news if somebody did that and actually pulled it off, or even if they did that and failed. Um, I think that would be a big, like, holy crap, it worked kind of thing. Whereas there have been a number of breaches, but they've all been almost universally been because of uh, hardware failure. There's been accidents, a software glitch, um, you know, nodes going down, that, that type of thing. So I don't know of a malicious actor doing that yet, and we don't even have watchtowers. So I think just the fact that watchtowers exist now and that that's going to become a part of the protocol, I think it's really just going to be... I don't think it'll get actually executed very much on the network because it just makes... It's like the elephant in the room uh, that Bitcoin is. It's like, think about it this way. Bitcoin is a huge check and balance on the policies of the Federal Reserve. If Bitcoin becomes a widespread currency, well, then every time the Fed gets together to make monetary decisions, there is only so much they can do because Bitcoin exists and there's nothing they can do about it. So if they institute like really crap monetary policy because it's good for them, well, then people will, it, it will cause a flood into Bitcoin and they run a huge risk because there's competition there now. So I think the Fed's ability to make arbitrary decisions that benefit them and everyone else's expense will be highly restricted, but not because they make the bad decisions and then everybody floods into Bitcoin, like people will flood into Bitcoin naturally, um, but because they're simply prevented from making those decisions because they know it will cause people to flood into Bitcoin. So in that same way... Um, I don't think watchtowers will be like some service on the network that would just be wildly profitable because it would mean that people are trying to breach contracts in spite of the fact that the watchtowers are there. And I just think it will be that presence on the network that will essentially make breaching a contract, which already seems unprofitable and stupid and risky, so much more so that it just won't be a thing. Um, the, the insurance of every individual channel and in combination with watchtowers and the fact that you don't really know who's using one and who isn't or how many watchtowers they're using, it'll just make the whole thing so unprofitable and so improbable that it won't happen. Um, so, uh, so that's why I kind of think that we may never really move out of the, in, in, unless we're talking about I think it's very reasonable to expect incredibly large channels to start being made. The, the whole Wombology thing, uh, we talk about that in a previous episode, uh, uh, something in Wombology. Uh, I don't know, I'll link to the episode, um, but it's a really great article on Lightning Network and talking about making channel capacities incredibly big. And I think this is one of those things where once you have like something insane, like a million dollars in a channel, well then, now the use of watchtowers are critical because the amount of money at risk 
is just massive. And I think, I don't think that's out of the question. I think that's actually something that should be uh, expected. Um, but it may very well be outside of incredibly large channel balances and stuff that have incredible liquidity that most of the network, the vast majority of the network is essentially in, is in altruist mode where watchtowers are just being watchtowers on the network. And a shout out to anybody, if anybody from LND or Lightning Labs is listening to this episode, uh, and anybody, any developer, wallet developer, anything, I am still, uh, I'm still waiting, uh, not holding my breath, but uh, no, yeah, I am. I'm holding my breath, waiting for that app that I want that is a encrypted chat uh, it lets you broadcast over a message over Lightning Network, uh, maybe even the satellite network, kind of like the Telegram bot that has just been released, um, and is also an LND, a Lightning wallet, so that I'm using it for just my basic encrypted chat, and everybody is an altruistic uh, a neighborhood watch, so to speak. All of my contacts and friends in this wallet that I am uh, having conversations with is a watchtower for everyone else. And now that this is out, I'm waiting for someone to implement the neighborhood watch. Uh, uh, trademark Guy Swan. Uh, so <laughs> not really. Uh, so, um, yeah, watchtowers are a really big one. And uh, I'll also link to the uh, Stefan Levera podcast, episode 83, with Connor, uh, so that you can uh, uh, dig into that a lot more if you want to listen to that episode and him kind of talk about it at length. It is a good episode, by the way, so definitely recommend it. Now, payment management and tracking, another huge one. Uh, the life cycle of a Lightning payment is really kind of in the dark right now. Like when you make uh, uh, on every one of them, I essentially you just get a curly wheel. You don't really get much data on what's going on with the payment. If your LND crashes, uh, trying to restart it and see what's happening with your payment. It's basically as soon as you attempt to send that payment forward, um, it, it, it immediately becomes something that's extremely difficult to track and to know what's going on. And I've had num numerous conversations when a payment did not go through. And because the invoices only last for like an hour, I think is the default invoice now. Um, I think that will be a huge, huge benefit to see if a payment is stuck somewhere or if... Uh, uh, how it failed, and that kind of thing, that we actually have like real data on every single payment. And I would like to see, I can't wait to see when it's saying searching for route, when it's saying um, uh, held with the loop node or whatever it is, you, you know, actually seeing real data that you can request uh, from uh, uh, places in the route, essentially, so that you know whether the payment was successful um, you know what exactly what happened with the route and possibly where it failed. Um, and also with something like the HODL invoice that they have, we're also getting these, um, there's a lot of new development coming with payments that sit and wait for something to happen that um, can stay in limbo for extended periods of time to be completed when there is liquidity or when uh, a loop node comes in and fulfills it. I think there's a lot of that that's going to happen because there's no reason we have these great time lock contracts that can extend. And then we have like Sphinx payments and stuff, all these things that are just like, I'm going to push it forward to a node without even having 
uh, needing that node to sign until they come online and recognize the payment. So with all of these developments and this type of movement happening in the payments uh, side of it, that you don't have to be, everything doesn't have to go through immediately. Uh, I think it will be a really great thing to be able to see what's going on with the payment, um, uh, particularly on the consumer and user side. And, and maybe really just for developers as well so that they can see where payments failed and you can start to really work out routing problems and stuff. It's just more data is always better when you're trying to figure out uh, nation technology and like where it's going wrong and where it's uh, working great, that sort of thing. So um, with more of these, uh, I guess you can say ethereal payments or um, uh, payments that can sit and wait until something is fulfilled, uh, I think this will be a really, really huge improvement. Uh, just basic tracking of what the hell's going on so that you're not just looking at a curly wheel and wondering if your payment went through. So that's a big one, in my opinion, that I think will really change uh, the experience with screwing around with L&D and uh, just payments in general. Because like I said, it's, it's really just been in the dark until recently. Always, always new routing improvements. Um, I don't know. I haven't dug much into this uh, specifically, but I know there's been some really, really important, all, all the updates to the routing. I still think routing is going to be the biggest challenge uh, with Lightning, the, the network in general, because we're talking about the possibility or, well, the inevitability, really millions of nodes at some point. And uh, the fact that you have something like a probability-based system that could lead you to see probable routes rather than having the so much exact data but probable data i think will be a huge improvement to uh possibly how much information you need to find a reliable path um and to trying uh fewer paths that have the highest probability of working so that a payment that is still seeking a path can go through quicker uh because it's not just trying every possible path it's trying the most probable um so it sounds like a really interesting system and I've, I've read the the main like breakdown of like the changes on the github like the four or five paragraphs they have but i don't really know much about the specifics i haven't really wrapped my head around it so uh just the idea of um finding better routing uh i think will uh is, is always a really good improvement and maybe there's another episode or an interview or something somewhere where somebody digs into this uh, more specifically. But obviously, improved error messaging. Always, if you can see the error and uh, know more, you have more detailed information about what's happening with the payments, and then this in conjunction with more payment tracking and management, uh, I think all of this is a really, really huge improvement for making sure payments um, still have options and just don't look like if it fails, it doesn't just, oh, well, what, what do you do? You just throw up your hands. So I think these three together, the payment tracking um, and management, the additional uh, routing things, and then the next thing that we're about to jump into, the chain fee management, I think will all lead to a, a much, much better experience um, uh, for the user and uh, just more tools for the wallet developer to make sure things get through as the user will expect and and give a more concrete time to fee ratio essentially 
because they've included support now for replace by fee and child pays for parent, which is really exciting because um, just a brief overview, a replace by fee transaction is one where I send a, uh, a fee that, um, excuse me, I send a transaction out to the network. Maybe it's a channel opening, maybe it's a loop in transaction, loop out, whatever it is. Um, and I have a fee of two cent because the, the mempool is empty at the moment, but then uh, out of nowhere, before the next block comes in, there's a huge dump of transactions, and now what was an empty mempool for me now is a giant mempool with like 20 megabytes worth of transactions or something. And now I thought I was going to get into the next block, and now it looks like I'm going to take, it's going to take like three hours. Well, um, so a replace by fee allows me to send that transaction out again with uh, a $1 fee or something if it's really important that I get this through immediately or in the next block. And then child pays for parent uh, is exactly what it sounds like, is that let's say I'm sending a uh, transaction to uh, a different wallet of mine and then I send, I can either send my change address, which every time I send a transaction, it sends to the new uh, address, the destination that I am choosing, Plus, the remainder goes back to a change address. Like, um, every time you spend from an address, you have to spend the entire amount of coins. So, uh, whatever is left over, if I got 100 bucks and I'm spending 20, $80 comes back to me, comes back to me in that same transaction. So, I could actually resend the child pays for parent. Let's say that first transaction gets stuck, where I'm sending $20 to you and $80 back to myself. Um, I can either send that $80 back to myself again, or you can send that $20 forward, or maybe I'm sending it to my Lightning wallet, and I can uh, then fund a Lightning, trans, uh, a Lightning channel with that $20. But essentially, the next transaction in the chain from the one that's sitting and waiting for a confirmation can have a higher fee. So if I put a $0.05 cent, uh, fee on the first transaction and it gets stuck, well, then we can put a 50 cent transaction, uh, a 50 cent fee on the next transaction. And now uh, the, the only way to confirm the second transaction is to confirm the first so that it's in a block. So now essentially we have a 55 cent fee on two transactions together. That's the child pays for parent. And when these things are going to be part of the standard like wallet tools, and when we have more ideas of you know where a where a payment got stuck or why a payment got stuck, or uh, more ideas on the most probable routes and stuff in Lightning Network, and we want to do like a loop in or a loop out to get a transa- to get new uh, liquidity or something, having these tools available right in LND will be a huge uh, a huge thing for uh, making making sure that the experience goes through as expected, even if it takes a little bit longer or costs a little bit more. And you can kind of give the user that option of, if you want to pay this amount, we can make sure this happens now. If you want to just wait, uh, you can expect this to go through in an hour or something like that. And then also, wonderful, wonderful uh, change that, um, or improvement is that now they have batching transactions together. So that will be a huge thing for something like RBF is that you've got one input to one output. Like let's say I'm opening up a channel and that gets stuck. 
Well, RBF and then uh, transaction batching means I can open up a second channel, uh, include the first transaction with it, update it with RBF, add a new fee because I was like, oh crap, that first one got stuck because I didn't have enough fee. And now I can just save money on fees and I can batch both my channel openings together at the same time and lower my fees at the same time uh, and uh, make sure that both of those transactions get through even though one of them uh, was stuck for a little while. So that's another huge one that I think will be really big for like all of these things together. Like this is a really serious list of uh, changes that on the client side could result in a lot better reliability of every single payment, channel opening, and all of that stuff uh, to, to just make sure things work, you know? Um, and when we talk to Roy Scheinfeld tomorrow, uh, well, I've already talked to him, but uh, when we have uh, uh, that episode come out, know that a lot of this stuff, uh, we didn't really talk about a lot of these things because they just weren't there in L&D. Uh, so when we talk about the challenges uh, that the Breeze wallet, um, the Breeze Lightning wallet has had in the user experience and how they've overcome it, imagine all of these new tools available to them because uh, it's really exciting stuff that's happening right now with Lightning. And then the performance uh, improvements, it was a really interesting change that they now have a what's called a max reorg depth, I think is what it was called. Max reorg depth. I think that's what it was called. And essentially, so this is really cool. They talk about how like it used to take half an hour and basically running, uh, booting up a new LND node that's backed by a different full node now takes minutes or seconds, uh, depending on the full node version. That's really exciting because what they've done is they've basically put a max reorg depth where you're only getting the last 10,000 block headers to make sure it's essentially saying that the likelihood of a 10,000 block reorg is so low that for a light client that is using a full node in order to um, pull its data, it, there's no reason to go deeper than that unless, of course, your transaction is actually in it, which just means that you're going to request that block data specifically, um, which you're already going to do with a full node anyway. Anything that's related to your filter, or any filter that's related to your transactions, obviously you download. Um, and as we start to get to uh, using our full node, it becomes easier and easier to use our own full node to back up our L&D, um, like for our Lightning wallets to talk to at home. And now we've got like watchtowers built in. We get to use our own like home computers as a watchtower for our light clients on our phones. Light clients are going to be easier and easier to use. And something like Breeze uh, wallet and Lightning Labs wallet right now, you have to wait for it to... Um, uh, download Neutrino, all the Neutrino filters, which download the filters essentially for all the blocks of the blockchain, which is a good chunk of data. It's not a lot, but it is, I think it's like 20 megabytes. Don't, don't quote me on that. I can't remember exactly. Um, but when you load up the, the wallet after, you know, closing it for a week, it takes, I don't know, 40 seconds or something like that to sync if you've had it actually closed um, and haven't been running it in the background. So that's a huge wait time, and uh, that's at least a bad user experience just on its face is that, you know, you open up a wallet. So, like, imagine if I had to do that while I was at Foodline. You know, I open up my wallet at the register thinking that I'm going to just pay immediately, and then I'm like, oh, crap, sinking. You know, that sucks. But if I'm using my full node at home and just talking to it, 
as these things like become like really simple to do, which uh, Brees uh, Roy actually talks about that, and I know without a doubt Lightning Labs has this in the running, um, where you can just talk to your full node. Those sync times that that uh, uh, booting up and being able to use immediately is just going to be such so much faster and more responsive than it is right now. As, as these things just start talking to each other easy, uh, more easily. Um, where you can pick which node that you're talking to so you can fully trust. Like, I would fully trust my node at home. Obviously, it's my node. Like, I know exactly where it came from. I know my IP address, all that good stuff. So why would I have to wait to sync Neutrino um, or with that? Why wouldn't I just ask outright, use it as a full-on light client? Um, but uh, it's just exciting to see all of these uh, performance updates and stuff. And uh, I haven't gotten a lot of use with the Lightning app. Um, I did have it fail on me. I mean, the Lightning app is in alpha. So, you know, everything with a grain of salt. If it works straight out the gate, it should honestly be surprising. Um, but uh, um, I did have a payment fail, and uh, I have not really dug into it to see what the channel was or anything about it. Um, but uh, I'm excited to be, a, be able to play around with this and really, really looking forward to seeing Point Seven come out with this. Um, uh, with the new uh, uh, Lightning app to actually have 0.7 and to see how the performance difference is because syncing right now is a thing. You know, like you have to wait for that stuff to set up and channel opening and closing uh, takes time. So uh, I think that's the bulk of the changes. They do talk about like more complete information with transactions, invoices, nodes, and channels. And I think that's just kind of a, a bunch of the, as the command line gets more and more tells us more and more complete information that's just going to be really exciting to like for people like me who don't really know the deep end of this stuff but can make use of those tools to see what's going on and troubleshoot what's happening and payment tracking and all of that stuff is going to be really exciting because i'll get to play around and see which channels are doing me good um uh, where payments actually fail and it's i don't know i think there will be more eyes on it that can start to assess what problems are being caused. Whereas right now it's like only serious developers. And as those developers make the tools available for me, people like me and other command line junkies to actually see the errors, the proper errors, the tracking of the payments, where it failed, how it failed, whether it succeeded and something's just not updating, I think that will be a huge step in uh, kind of building out the infrastructure and the commercial more user experience side of this whole network um, and uh, making it easier to figure out where things went wrong and how to make it go right every time uh, rather than 95% of the time. So this is just a really, really exciting update and I, I wanted to hit this episode leading into our discussion with Roy tomorrow on Breeze Technology uh, and their amazing Lightning app right now. Um, those are the two that I've been Excited to experiment with a little bit more. Um, uh, Breeze we got to use last night, actually, at the Raleigh Bitcoin meetup, uh, which we recorded another really fun episode on that, so hopefully that will come out soon. Steve, actually, from the Raleigh Bitcoin meetup, has started a Raleigh Bitcoin meetup podcast on Anchor just to publish these things. So when I find the link to that, I will uh, point everybody in that direction because it's a really fun thing, and I've had a hard time figuring out how exactly to rope all of this audio into my show uh, since I'm still just doing stuff daily at this point. 
So lots of lots of great content there. Uh, I will link you all to the Raleigh Bitcoin Meetup podcast. And I will see you all back here tomorrow with our discussion with Roy Scheinfeld from Breeze, uh, the Breeze Lightning Wallet. So much fun stuff to discuss. Uh, a huge thank you to the Lightning Labs team and everything happening with L&D. This, this stuff is so amazing and it's just crazy to see. I mean, this, it's been half a year and look at what has happened and how easy this is being made for the user end. And I just don't see how all the major problems are getting solved. We're getting those incremental improvements that are just going to, it's just going to break open one day and it's suddenly just going to be usable in a massive, massive way. We're already touching on it with some of the wallets that I'm getting to experiment with. And I think the onboarding is just going to be a flood. Uh, I think it's going to be crazy, crazy awesome. I'm really excited about this. And just, just kudos, man. Like hats off to what you guys are building. I can't believe that you've done loop in, loop out, all of this stuff in point seven, watchtowers, the lightning app, the desktop app, the mobile app, all of this stuff in less than six months. I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously you've been building these things out for a while, but it's just absolutely incredible. And it, it's hard not to just get overexcited about this uh, when you're following it really closely. So thank you guys so much. This is the Crypto Economy Podcast. I am Guy Swan. We are closing it out for the day. Don't forget to check out the actual uh, lightning.engineering, blog.lightning.engineering, and follow uh, L&D and Lightning Labs uh, on, uh, on Twitter. I will link to the Twitter profiles uh, that are related to all of this. And if you have not checked out the Lightning, the mobile Lightning app, definitely do so. It is on iOS and Android. Uh, in iOS, it's, uh, it's all still in beta, so, or I think actually alpha, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so uh, make sure you're using TestFlight. You're not going to find it like right on the App Store and whatever the equivalent is for Android. So I will link to all of that so you can check it out and you can join the Telegram if you want to have a conversation with these guys. Uh, I know they would love feedback and uh, share any problems or great ideas that you have about this, uh, these apps and this stuff going forward. And I'm still holding out for my encrypted chat, uh, published lightning message, uh, <laughs> lightning app wallet that uh, has all of my friends be my altruistic watchtowers. Uh, so somebody who knows better than I do how to develop that kind of thing, make that for me. I will pay you. I, I want that app. It's just, I, I want something built by, I want something built by Bitcoin and lightning developers that is an encrypted chat app. So that's what I want. Thank you guys uh, for everything. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Crypto Economy Podcast. This is where we explore the Bitcoin rabbit hole, where we figure out, like we discuss the technology and the ideas and all of the philosophy behind this new economy that we're building that is going to make sovereignty. It's going to bring our sovereignty back in the digital world. Uh, that's going to create new forms of organization. Um, and it's just really exciting. I think we're witnessing a huge shift in the world that is unprecedented and that we are we could not be luckier to be alive and see this happen so this is the crypto economy podcast i am guy swan the guy who's read more about bitcoin than anybody else you know 
and I will catch you all on the next episode. We've got some fun stuff coming up, so stick with me. Subscribe, share it out to everyone you know in the crypto economy space, and uh, don't forget to follow me at The Crypto Economy on Twitter. And until next time, take it easy, guys.